Hey, I'm Brett Podolsky, co-founder of The Farmer's Dog. We make fresh food for dogs. We started the company when we saw what a huge difference it made in my own dog, Jada, when she stopped eating ultra-processed kibble and started eating fresh, whole food. The Farmer's Dog food isn't fancy. It's just real food delivered to your door in pre-portioned packs. It's better for them and easier for you. Get 50% off your first box at thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. That's thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. All right, welcome in to the Odson Audibles podcast. I'm Matt Prem, Eric Scopel, Jared Mack on this live stream show. Also, if you're catching this on the podcast, welcome to the podcast as well. Uh, we waited to do this on Wednesday a little bit later in the morning because, hey, uh, the football schedule is out, and we wanted to kind of do a blind reaction discussion around uh, the schedule release. And we've had maybe three minutes to process this, so it, like all of our thoughts are going to be pretty raw. Uh, but the the uh, the schedule is out. I think the month of October is certainly interesting. We'll go through the full schedule here in a minute. The end of the season is very interesting as well. Um, we already knew Portland State, Texas Tech on the road, and Hawaii were our three non-conference games for the Oregon Ducks this season. But um, they open league play with a home date against Colorado on September 23rd. Uh, they make their first road trip in conference to Stanford on September 30th. Uh, they, they follow that up with another road week two weeks later, uh, October 14th at Washington. Uh, so, so in the middle of their two road games, they have a bye. And then they get a, a home game against Washington State on October 21st. The 28th of October, not a November game here, at Utah. And then uh, the month of November, when you decide how good your season really becomes, three out of their four games are at home. November 4th against Cal at home. November 11th at home against USC. The one road game, a warm state. I love this. At ASU, November 18th, and then they close out the regular season November 24th against Oregon State uh, in the in-state rivalry game. Um, Eric, are you ready for me to you throw could, it to you? Or you I'm here throw, too. Don't forget about me. I think throw it to Jared. I'm, I'm by the way, okay. prepping a story as we uh, record this podcast, just releasing the the schedule for those on the. Schedule. I wasn't trying to get out of order, but Jared, let's break let's break our normal routine. You get the you get the, you get the first crack here. Sure, you get the first crack at the at the uh, reaction to the schedule. Just in general, just a normal reaction. Um, yeah, I don't. What think was it's, the first thing you looked at? Uh, I looked at the bye week because I always like to see when a bye week is happening. I think it's too early for Oregon this this upcoming season. I don't like it on October seventh, even though that is my birthday weekend, which is much much appreciated from the, the, the folks at the Pac-12 to recognize my birthday and give me a bye week on awful work as well. But um, I don't like the early bye week, and I really don't like um, the months of October and November. Um, Oregon doesn't miss anybody in the Pac-12 this year, unless you want to consider UCLA a real contender. Um, I don't, but everybody else that they play, USC, Utah, Washington, they hit everybody else that you want to see Oregon state included. Uh, obviously that was going to happen, but um, I don't think it's, I really don't think it's very favorable for Oregon. Uh, I think the out of conference is fine. I think Oregon should be five and zero as they head into that bye week um, Technically they have back to back away games, but there's the bye week in between there. It also helps that it's before Washington, but you know, at Washington, at Utah in two out of three weeks there towards the end of October um, or two of the last three weeks in October, not very favorable. Um, and then you just have one week against Cal, then you have USC. And then that Arizona State game, I think we'll get into this in an article later on duckterritory.com, either today or tomorrow. That Arizona State game has trap game written all over it. Um, that's a really difficult schedule for Oregon to go from Utah week against Cal, USC, then Arizona State, while prepping for a, a, a home game against Oregon State, your rival. Um, don't like that. Don't like the warm weather environment. We all know what happened the last time Oregon was a, a, a college football playoff contender with one loss, heading into the second to last week of the season against Arizona State in the desert. Um, it's a Kenny Dillingham revenge game as well. 
I don't I don't think Arizona State's going to be that good. Uh, I don't think they were that good in 2019. But uh, it all that matters is that it's college football, and this is why you play the games. Um, again, I you know Oregon could be undefeated by the time they get to to Arizona State. I just I'm not a big fan of the schedule to begin with. I mean, it's a good schedule. It gets it's all the games that you want to see Oregon play and really prove themselves. But um, I don't think it's very favorable for the Ducks. I, I, I do not, like the. Go ahead, Eric. Go ahead. No, you go ahead. I was actually just going to tweet my deal out here, uh, so I, that's okay if you want to jump in. I do. I mean, the end of the season is going to be difficult, no doubt about it. But I like the fact that three or uh, excuse me, four out of your first five games are going to be against teams who didn't make a bowl game this past season. So if there are any um, bumps in the road. If there are any, you know, things you got to figure out position wise that didn't get figured out in fall camp, you don't have a Georgia on this schedule. You don't have a BYU that third week of the season. Texas Tech, that game, that road game, that's going to be difficult. That that will be two top twenty-five teams. I I, I feel very confident that place is going to be jacked up. Excited to play for Oregon on. January 18th, you know, we're nine months almost away from that game being played. And yet we can already know that place will be hard. But if there's any kind of concerns for Oregon coming out of fall camp, they've got plenty of time to kind of work through those and figure find those answers until, like you said, the meat of the schedule in mid-October um, when they play Washington, Washington State, Utah, Cal. USC, Arizona State, Oregon State. Um, you know, that's what five or that's like six opponents, and four of them made bowl games, and three of them, four of them, um, Oregon State, USC, Utah, Washington, Washington, um, all four won 10 games this past season. Uh, that's a that's a rough finish. I don't, you know, I, you know, I'd like to do, and I might do this as a story this week, is break down Oregon's success by month over the last, let's say, five years. Because when have they had problems? It's been November, right? Like you look at the history of this team recently. There have been almost every single season. You kind of throw out the COVID year because that was played in a shortened schedule. But every year, it seems like they hit November and they're in the college football playoff discussion, whether they are on the cusp, whether they are directly inside the top four, based upon. Um, the you know the, the the ranking releases, they're always in it, and so I look at this November and think like it's actually a more favorable November than most Novembers have been, right? Because you play, I think your two toughest road games without question are played in the month of October. Month of November, you get everything basically at home except for at Arizona State, and while I agree with Jared that that probably does have trap game written all over it, I also agree with Jared that like I think Arizona State's probably. Its ceiling is maybe the seventh or eighth best team in the conference, and it's and it's probably its its floor is maybe ten to twelve. Like they could be, I, yeah. I don't know what to expect from Kenny Dillingham, and that could be a the game nice where the nice thing is is that the nice thing is that you're playing ASU. It's a trap game, but it is against Arizona State. Yeah, so, so I, I actually, I actually, I actually think it's a pretty favorable November compared to past Novembers. Like if you think about what this last November was, where you had Utah, Washington, and Oregon State back to back to back, and those ended up being three of the best five teams in the conference. And, and, you know, I don't think that was expected going into the year. And we're probably having a different conversation about that November last year around this time. But just looking at the way it stacks up, like I think that November is favorable where it's really tough is right after the bye week, right? That, that is, that is, that is the, that is the stretch where you could see Oregon play themselves out of the Pac-12 the Pac conference race or play themselves into the conference playoff race even more and solidify things and maybe play themselves directly into that college football playoff discussion. That game at Washington on October 14th feels a little bit early for me. I kind of want to see that game yep. maybe a, a little bit later, but hey, this is the way the schedule is, is comprised. I like that it's after a bye week, I think, for both schools. I think that's I think that's a positive. Let both teams get prepped. Make this, this is a game that carries a lot of weight. Let's make sure both teams are on even footing um, from a preparation perspective. Game at Utah, same kind of thing. That's going to be a really big game. But again, if they're able to get through those – two games in that three-week stretch, I think the month of November is fairly favorable compared to the past, and I'm not discounting at all 
that they play USC and they play Oregon State in November, but both those games are at home, which is a which is a big advantage. You know, three out of four in November are at home with Cal, USC, and Oregon State um, all being mm-hmm. played at home. So I, I think I think November is favorable. October is is really tough, and the early bye week. I agree. Like I think if you were comp- composing a schedule that would be perfect for or your preferred schedule, you'd probably rather have that bye week maybe closer to the after the twenty first, maybe, and then you'd rather yeah, have. have Third week of October. Preferably. Yeah, but by week, and then and then maybe it's Washington on the twenty eighth, et cetera. But I, I just mm-hmm. uh, I, I I don't hate the back end. I think the back end's much more favorable than in previous years. But that middle, really, boy, that's going to be that's going to be a tough road there. You know, in the middle of October. I, I just I, I look at the schedule and November is hard for Oregon, um, typically. But I, I like the fact that you get Utah on the you don't play Utah in November when it's freaking cold as hell. I've never been there, but I think both of you can tell me if it's cold as hell there in, in November. It, it gets um, pretty chilly. cold. Yeah. And the, I just I just can't get past the fact that three of the last four home games or three of the last four games in, in the season are at home. And their one road game is Arizona State. It, Jared calls it a trap game. I, I could be sold on that, but if Oregon is as good as we think they are, you have a bye week before Washington to get healthy, to be better prepared. You don't play Utah in November. It's a road game. Um, nonetheless, it's still going to be hard. It's still going to be cold in late October, uh, but you get Washington State at home before. You get Cal at home after and you know Cal before you play USC. You get Arizona State before before you play Oregon State. Every home, every difficult, difficult air quote, difficult game on the schedule, you have either a bye week or a weaker opponent that you should be able to handle. And if if Oregon is as good as we think they, or as people think they should be next season with a senior quarterback, you know that. The path is there. Is it difficult? Yeah, it's going to be difficult. But the path is there to you know, to lift your head up December first to know that you're going to Vegas to play in the Pac-12 championship game. Can I ask you guys to do my job for me? No, I guess okay. sure. Well, I was just joking because later, but later, like directly after this podcast, <laughs> the first thing I'm going to do is do a ranking the toughest games on the schedule. Right story, and I, I, I just want to get like a, a small straw poll. I guess not even a straw poll. It's three people, but like. Sure, sure, sure. And maybe, and maybe those listening, if you want to kind of weigh in here too, to just kind of give me some perspective. But like, you look at the schedule now. Is the toughest game at Washington on the, you know, on the on the fourteenth after the bye, or do you look at the USC Oregon State kind of close there, and think, boy, those games, or, or I guess you obviously include Utah on the road too. But like, I think those are the four you're probably picking between in conference play. You can choose to include Texas Tech in there if you want, but I think we all understand conference games are, you know, more more than likely more difficult most years unless you're playing Georgia in Atlanta, in which case that's always going to be your toughest game. But like, I don't know, Jeff, I'll throw it to you. Like, which which game on the schedule do you look at and think that's the toughest, or or are there multiple for you? I think there's multiple. I'll give you three of them. Um, I think Utah at Utah is probably the hardest. I know you guys have both mentioned it's not in November, but it's four days away from being in November. I look at that as practically being in November. Um, It doesn't matter if if you were to play there in the middle of July or the end of September. Um, That place is really difficult to play in. When Eric and I went in 2021, it was an absolute madhouse. And we all know what happened to Oregon in that game. I don't expect that to happen this time around either, but that is a difficult environment to play. It's one of the it was honestly one of the best stadiums I've ever been to. Uh, it's just very, very cool. Great little little view when you're in the press box. But regardless, that's a J- difficult J- Jared, team. Jared, you, I think we agree. Utah, but maybe our favorite place we've been to in the conference. Like it's up there. It's one of the it's one of the better be. environments. Yeah, it's great. Hundred percent. So, and that's from the the media perspective, which I know everybody who's listening really doesn't care that much about. But uh, Utah's still going to be really good. I know that they, they lose some guys on their defense, but um, Cameron Rising is back for another year. That's the same thing as Oregon. They have another senior quarterback coming back and who's someone who's who's really damn good. Um, I would say that uh, Washington is second on my list. That's at Washington. I only I, I would have I slotted Washington number one, but Oregon is coming off a bye and so is Washington. Um, I think the bye week obviously benefits both teams, but 
to go immediately after a game and then go play in Washington. I think that would have been more difficult. So I'm putting them in the number two spot for now. Um, I see a question in the chat from our good friend, Ronald Reagan, uh, Mr. President, <laughs> what have the Huskies done to improve their defense? Not a lot. Um, Oregon at least has on paper looked to improve their defense. And I know Washington on paper has also tried to improve their defense. Um, that game looks like a shootout again. It should be. It probably will be, and I'd be very surprised if it was anything else. Um, and then I'm, I'm I'm kind of in a toss-up here between uh, Oregon State and Texas Tech being the third hardest game on the schedule. Wait, wait, um, whoa, whoa, whoa. I, USC? Oh, uh, yeah, sorry, USC. I forgot that they were on the schedule. I think, <laughs> I yeah, USC is probably probably third, but I think that's a shoe-in, and I'm only going to say that they're, they're third just because it's at home. But um, I still think that that Oregon State and Texas Tech are going to be difficult games. I think people are kind of underrating um, Texas Tech. I think that they're a good program. I think that they finished the season really strong last year. They found a quarterback in Tyler Shuck towards the end of the year. Um, obviously, the Tyler Shuck revenge game. So let's let's keep that in mind. And uh, you got to travel to to Lubbock. Um, it's it's very similar. It's it's a similar kind of environment as Pullman is. There's not a lot around. It's a bigger city. Um, People love their Texas Tech football. Uh, I, I think it'll be a tough environment. And it's the second second week into a season with with a relatively brand new defense against an offense that's that's pretty damn good. So I think that's a sleeper one. And then obviously Oregon State. Oregon State's just a solid program. I, I think it's USC um, with Caleb as the hardest. As the hardest. I, I know it's at home, but Oregon's defense – and. Until we know that they've made a big jump and improvement, I have a very hard time seeing them contain uh, Utah's – or not Utah, USC's offense with Caleb Williams running the show. Yeah, Addison's gone at receiver. Troy dies – or Travis Dye is, is gone at running back. But they have they still have a ton of dudes, and they have the Heisman Trophy winner. And – Lincoln Riley is still their head coach, and we can joke about how bad Lincoln Riley's defenses are, whether it's at Oklahoma or at USC. His offenses are freaking damn good. And until I see improvement from Morgan's defense, I just I just don't that, – that game could be 56-55. And I just don't have the confidence that Oregon consistently can get stops. I think Utah would be second uh, for me, just, you know, road game – Conference two-time conference champ. They play good defense. And when's the last time Oregon went to Utah and like played good? It might be 2016 when they stole that game on that throw from Herbert to Carrington. Um, I, I oh. it, it wasn't pretty in 18. Uh, it was not pretty in 2021. So those those would be my top two. I'm uh, I'm actually gonna th I'm throwing a poll out here uh, on on social media. So those those listening, if you want to take part, go ahead and uh, and take cast your cast your vote. I've just tweeted it. Of I've only, there's only room for four choices, which I've so I've taken off Texas Tech not because I think that's a win, like an easy game by any means. We'll get through I'm sure over the course of this offseason a lot, but just because I wanted to focus on the conference games. Um, I'll be curious to see kind of where the poll is at. And I was actually surprised that there wasn't a definitive number one between the two of you. Cause to me, it felt like it should be at Washington was the toughest game. Just, just based upon recent history, just based upon recent history and where that game is played and the rivalry. I thought that felt like the choice, but coming off the bye week, I understand that argument, Jared, I understand Matt very clearly the USC argument given not just the talent at USC and, and kind of what they just did this past season, but also the fact that those are leaving for the Big Ten and there's going to be some certainly some extra animosity that we're already seeing on our message board, gosh, what, 10 months out before that game is played? Like, people are already fired up about this. So yeah. I, I get it. The at Utah game and stuff, like, I, and I, I think that's maybe part of the reason why you look at the schedule and say it's it's a tougher schedule, right? I mean, Jared yeah. kind of touched on it to start. It's, it's because there are four – I think there are four legitimately – Four games, you could legitimately say that's the toughest game. I think Oregon State's probably maybe a notch below those other three on probably the same kind of level as Texas Tech in terms of uh, – and maybe that's unfair. But I think this is a challenging schedule where you've got 
four or five games that are very clearly games that you could lose. Now, I think Oregon will be favored in several of them and, and maybe more. Probably almost every game besides the two on the. I don't know. We'll kind of see how the year plays out. But I would imagine Oregon will be favored against Washington. Or be favored against uh, Washington, uh, and probably possibly Utah. Kind of depends Maybe. on how the year plays out to that yeah. point. But I I think this game this this season is 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 going to be very interesting because the schedule, like I said, the, the back end's not as tough, but the middle is. Boy, is there a tough tough stretch here? I'm gonna. You guys go ahead and chat. I'm gonna see what the poll over on the Twitter versus is, is telling me right now. Gotcha. Matt, I was going to ask you, you, you think it's USC is the hardest game. I, is that because you just think it is? Or, like, they, still, they have to play Washington and Utah before they even get to USC. The season might be over, quote-unquote, well, yeah. by the time they even get to USC as the hardest game on the schedule. Sure. I mean, in that regard, then, yeah, Washington becomes the hardest game for me because that's – that's if, if you lose that game, you're behind the eight ball. It doesn't matter what you do at, at Texas Tech um, for conference race perspectives. But if you lose the Washington game, you're behind the eight ball now. I, I just think from a pure talent perspective and a pure matchup perspective, I have a hard time seeing Oregon stop USC. I, I, I think – um, we had Rob Mosley on this podcast and I, uh, a couple weeks ago, and I agree with him with what he said. Uh, if Bo Nix doesn't get hurt in that Washington game, they win. And I don't think the outcome and how it happened, that loss happens in real time. Um, and so I, I, I think Washington's offense is terrific. I think it's you have to fear it. But I think USC's is better. I just think they have a better quarterback. They've got – better skill players. Um, maybe they don't have as good of a running back, but you didn't have that good of a running back either no. um, this season. So like, I, I just, I just look at USC and say that they got drastically better from a recruiting perspective wise. Their portal additions are good. They have the Heisman trophy winner coming back. They have the, the better head coach. Um, I, I, I just think that's, the toughest on paper matchup, but yeah, like you said, like it, Oregon may get to that game and it not matter from a from a conference championship perspective because if they lose at Washington or if they lose at Utah. Mm-hmm. A question from the chat from Fish Bio: You guys aren't showing any respect to Coach Prime. What about Colorado? I do what think it's Colorado? they are going to be trash. They are yeah. not going to be. We've good. talked about this before, Fish Bio, like. Yeah, their their transfer portal cycle is great. They bring in a lot of good guys, but again, that's it's ten to twelve people. You still have seventy four more people on the roster to give a scholarship to, and we all saw what Colorado was last year. Um, I think Colorado. I think it's nice to get them at the beginning of the season because Coach Prime is still going to be figuring out what he's doing at the Power Five level. Um, I but and then I, I still think that they could be a good program all said and done. But this year, I mean, it's going to be a re- retooling year, it's a rebuilding, retooling. I. It, it's nice that they play them. It's also Prime's first Pac-12 game, so that's a yep. cool little storyline. Uh, I'm just, you know, I'm not showing them any respect. As I, 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 they're. I'm trying to pull up their. Um, go ahead, Eric. While I look for what I'm going to look for. Oh, I, I was just going to kind of reiterate a couple points that Jared made that I was going to also make, which was that it it will be kind of fun that Dion's. I, do we, I guess we're calling him Prime. I guess Prime is what, what we call him. We don't call him by his Coach first Prime. name like we do everyone else. Mm-mm. So it's great that Coach Prime's debut and it just feels weird to say it that way. Uh, but it, 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 it's it's kind of cool that Oregon is, is kind of gets to introduce him to Pac-12 play. Uh, and I also agree with with Jared's point that um, probably not a bad thing that you get them early on in the season. Not that I think they're going to take massive steps. And then if you played them let's say hypothetically in place that if you swap the Arizona state Colorado games that you'd feel, Oh man, that's terrifying to have this. The, the penultimate game of the regular season is against Colorado, but Colorado probably does feel more dangerous later on in the year rather than that early on in the season. Um, just because it will be a building block season and, and who knows, maybe things do click. I mean, I, I don't want to poo poo everything he's done because he's had a lot of success. I know it's at a, a smaller level, um, but Jackson state did, did extraordinarily well down there. I don't think it's going to be a seamless transition, just like my colleagues here, but I, I genuinely, I, that game wasn't really one that I really 
sat there and thought long about including in that kind of top list, obviously. I mean, I think there's no. some national buzz that Colorado could be okay this year, but like, I think a lot of that is just a little bit overblown. People excited about who Prime is and all that. So you're not going to see this magical run to a big bowl game for Colorado. Like, they may get to the Red Box Bowl or, you know, whatever the equivalent of the Red Box Bowl is for the Pac-12, because I think two years in a row now the Red Box Bowl hasn't been played. Um, you know, a six and six bowl team. Like, that, that may, that could be likely for Colorado this season. But you're not going to see a jump like USC did, where in right. 2021 they went four mm-hmm. and eight, and then this season they, what did they finish? Uh, they won, 11 they won a- three or something like that. They won uh um, they won eleven games, yeah. Yeah, eleven and three. And a big reason why is because yeah, they had some big portal additions. Colorado's had a big portal addition too, but um USC was tenth in the the national composite rankings for you know the most talented roster, blue ship ratio, um right. on the twenty four seven sports. They had talent on the roster before right. Lincoln Riley got here. Colorado is 63rd this season. This is a big difference. That's a big old difference. And like Eric's right, Deion Sanders certainly has made or did make Jackson State a better program. He did recruit better players than that that league has generally seen. Mm -hmm. And a lot of those guys are coming to Colorado, but like that's a big jump for those guys going from playing FCS quality competition every single week to now playing power five football in look, we've had Brandon Marcello on national reporter for 24 seven sports. Uh, we just recorded a podcast that'll come out next week with Chris Hummer another another national reporter for 24 seven sports. Both guys said the league that like the league they're most excited for next season, PAC 12 because of how loaded it is. Like, this is the worst year possible for Deion Sanders to join the league and see a huge jump because it's not what it was two or three years ago where there was like one good team and a bunch of mediocre teams. Everyone's good, essentially. Right. To, and, to, uh, that, to that point, uh, Matt, we do have basically a stalemate atop my early poll here. It's like 111 votes reporting. We're talking about it like it's a political, uh, a political race. Uh, at Wa- at Washington on the 14th of October and at Utah on the 28th of October are tied. Both have 40.5% of our early votes here. So um, early indications are a lot of people think those two road games in October are are the toughest. USC had about 16% and basically nobody picked Oregon State. Maybe, maybe people are still a little bit sour about last year's game. But also, just if you look at a schedule, if you look at the schedule, I, I think it's reasonable that that's below the other teams. Mm-hmm. Well, there's also this one too. This kind of goes right into our next. You segued it. Like, are we completely sold on the Beavs being a nine, ten win team again? Like, did they get any wide receivers in the portal? Um, just my opinion here. I I think it's time to stop sleeping on Oregon State. And while I'm not gonna like say it's automatic that they get ten wins. I, I think you have to pencil in a Jonathan Smith. Every year they've gotten better. Every single year they've gotten better. And they bring back their running backs. They've added a good quarterback addition here. You know, their offensive line should be pretty much intact. Like, they're going to be pretty good. And I don't know. I haven't looked at their schedule for 2023. But I don't think it's out of the realm of possibilities. They follow up another 10-win season next year. And, Look. Like you said, Eric, like maybe there's still some anger towards how that game played out against Oregon, but we can make all the excuses that we want about Oregon and, and why they lost or how they choked or whatever or whatever. Like Oregon State won that game running the football like 30 times in a row in that second half, and that amounts to something in my book. The other thing is, yeah. when was the last time Oregon State had a quarterback? And I, and I understand DJ's history at Clemson, and it's not yes. It's not like you're bringing in a guy who was like a two-time All ACC quarterback who's thrown for you know six seventy-five hundred yards in his career and has all these great stats. Sure. Like, no one's under the impression DJ Uangale you know has had a great career at Clemson. At the same time, this guy is still a player who 
was a five-star recruit, has all the natural ability in the world, and if he puts it together, like this is the most talented quarterback Oregon State has had probably since Derek Anderson, just in terms of physical gifts. Like, I don't think there's any question about it. And probably tech probably has a little higher upside still, even though Derek Anderson had more immediate returns of being a good player. And of course, I get into some nuance of why that was compared to why it was tougher at Clemson. But no, I, I, I think Oregon State's going to be tough again. I, I think Jonathan Smith's a really good football coach, guys. Like, I, I think he's one of the better coaches in this conference. And um, I obviously don't want him to beat Oregon, but I think it's impressive what he's done at Oregon State. And I think it's important, as Matt said, to kind of acknowledge it. And now that they have a legitimate quarterback and, and a fair amount of what they had offensively is back, I think defensive that there are quite a few turnovers that they lose quite a bit. I think that's where you could potentially that, that secondary, if I recall, I think they had several of those guys were fifth and sixth year players. I think they had a seventh year player in Jaden Grant, wasn't he? He was like twenty. He was like the same yes. age as Cam McCormick. Yeah. So there were some veteran guys that are gone there. But by the end of that season, I don't doubt at all that Oregon State's going to be competitive and and, and and winning, you know, at least close to that nine, ten win margin and makes this game with Oregon tough. So um I I'm I'm buying Oregon State as continuing to be really competitive and shoot. They might only win eight games next year, nine games next year. They might not stay up on that trajectory because the conference gets tougher, but I, I don't see them just simply going away. You know, I don't think that they're just magically going to not just be terrible again. I, I think they're going to be pretty darn competitive for, for the long road with, with Jonathan Smith there. Yeah. And that's what I was going to say too. I mean, uh, to answer the, the original question, like are we completely sold on them being a nine or 10 win team again? Like, yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm, maybe I'm not sold on them being nine or ten wins, but if they finish the season eight and four, it's because the conference got tougher, like Eric said. Like, this is going to be a good team. They're going to put up a fight against every opponent that they have. And I'm going to continue to bang the drums that DJ Uyunglele, his problem at Clemson was not his problem. I firmly believe that that was an offensive philosophy problem. That's why Clemson fired their offensive coordinator and picked up Lincoln Riley's little brother from TCU. Um that's going to be a big difference. And if you put DJ Uyunglele behind a real offensive line with a good running game um, in a Pac-12 defense where we've talked about how poor Washington's and USC's defense, well, Oregon's defense does wasn't that great last season. There was only one good defense really in the conference, and that was Utah's. And Utah's still got ripped apart for 40-plus points both times they played against USC. So, again, this is you know, going from the ACC to the Pac-12, I think, is going to be a benefit for DJ um, yeah, I do think that that Oregon State's defense suffers a little bit, but regardless, that should be a team that's posting close to nine or ten wins every single season. Um, I, I I really like the way that Jonathan Smith coaches his staff, uh, coaches his team, gets the players developed. I think it's a good good rotation there. And again, it's going to be a really difficult end to the season for Oregon. Um, they're just Oregon State's going to compete for a Pac-12 title, just like just like Oregon is, just like USC, just like everybody else, maybe even Colorado. Um, I just looked it up that Colorado was bringing in 41 players this offseason. So maybe I was lying about that. They're bringing in, you know, 12, 12 to 15 people on their transfer portal. They're actually bringing in 41 players, transfer plus recruits. So half the team is gone. So that, that's going to be interesting. I still stick with my Colorado. It's good at the beginning of the season, though. Sturdy uh, 21 asks or points out uh, and woof the Huskies have at USC, Utah and at Oregon State back to back to back. Um, that's pretty rough. Don't like that. Yeah. Yeah. That that's really bad for Oregon. What What is the equivalent of that for Oregon? Is it oh. at Washington at home against Washington State at at Utah three straight weeks? Is that is that our yeah. equivalent? I, I think yes. that's the equivalent. I mean, what, what, I guess you could argue it's that if, if that if let's say Arizona State, maybe they're better than we think that November 11th through 24th to close with SC at home at Arizona State at home against Oregon State could get there. If like the conference settles out just completely unexpectedly and Arizona State's one has won six or seven games at that point in the season, which again I think is very much best case. But I don't think there's any question that you look at the schedule and you go, your two toughest road games are in a three week a three week stretch there, and it's against teams that have been thorns in your side over the last two to three seasons. So yeah, I, I think it's that October 14th, October 28th stretch with the Huskies and uh, and the Utes and shoot like in between there. I think maybe we overlook Washington State sometimes. Remember this last year's game in Pullman was a game that Oregon right. was very it's fortunate to win. Very fortunate to win that game, and if it's not for, I'm not going to discount it and say they didn't deserve to win, but there were certainly moments where you felt it was unlikely, and if that game ends up being a loss, well, 
you'd be looking at this season going, well, there's one of your revenge games. So I, I think that stretch undoubtedly there is, is, is the toughest from my perspective. I think that I think picking the toughest three game stretch is easier than picking the toughest individual game. Yeah, I just there's only two options for the three game stretch and you went through both of them. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Here's a here's a comment I like from Cascadia Mike. Uh Schedule will be a grind in the middle, but with this roster and injuries aside, should be an appearance in the Pac-12 championship. Um, the reason I, I posted this is, do we think the depth, overall depth, has improved at Oregon? I felt like it took a step in 2022, um, but then we also saw some expected developments in the roster just not come to fruition, or maybe it was lack of scheme or lack of players for the scheme. I don't know. But what do we make of just the depth? Because as we saw in 2021, like that team was ultra talented. They did not have stellar play at quarterback, but they had the play, you know, they had the starters to really make a, a run here. But once injuries started mounting up, it was hard for Oregon to kind of overcome that. Yeah, no, I I, I think the depth feels better. Like, I mean, we're, we're kind of in the midst of doing, you know, I've, I've been doing my court, my position, you know, kind of reviews where things are at each position. Like, offensively, I think you've got plenty of depth. Like, I think you could, obviously, quarterback, you can't withstand an injury there, but there's very few teams right. in the country that can, right? Like, it's, it's unusual for a team to have, a, at this point, with the way the portal works, a backup quarterback that you go, gosh, he is on par with the starter boy he's he's going to be really special at some point too typically that's not the case and if it is somebody who has high upside they're a young player who hasn't really ex been experienced so i don't think you have quarterback depth necessarily but running back is great wide receiver is great offensive line i think like i don't know how much of it's proven depth but you certainly have bodies tight end remains a position where you don't have hardly any depth right um defensive line you've got too many players like we just we've seen a couple guys yeah. you know enter the portal of late that need to have more players enter the portal um, I guess it's hard to measure depth when they're still not done kind of finalizing the roster. Um, but I think in the secondary, you certainly have a lot of bodies. So yeah. um, there, there are certain, I mean, I think you definitely have talent top to bottom. I'll be curious to see where this group this year stacks up compared to last year in the, in the team composite ranking, right? Like, um, mm -hmm. is this roster looked at as being more talented from just a purely re recruiting perspective than, the, than the, the, the past few. And that'll be a test to then see how, how, how do we, I guess, uh, perceive these rankings if Oregon's team is significantly better next year, but yet not considered as talented in the recruiting ranking thing. So, um, but no, I think to the point, like, I, I think there's, there's depth on this team, especially on offense. And I just think it's a question of, I'm almost more curious on defense with just to have the top tier talent to run the scheme. Cause either that was more the issue last year than anything else of like, I think there were just positions on defense where you just didn't have the, the right person yeah, to, to run what you wanted to run. So my question is this year is, okay, you've had an off season now, Dan, to go get your guys. Have you got enough of your guys offensively? Yeah, I think this, the, the roster in general has plenty of depth. I think at mostly every position it just, to Eric's point, it's just can these guys play? Like, I'm not worried about 
I guess tight end depth is something else, but um, you know, barring injuries like the 2021 season to three of your top four linebackers, um, I think Oregon's depth at every position group is good. And it's tough to really know what the roster is going to look like as Oregon and Dan Lanning and everybody continue to recruit and continue to hit the transfer portal and continue to add or lose players. But as of right now with the 90,000 people they have on scholarship, uh, I, I think it looks great. And if they had that many people, it would look fantastic. But overall, depth, I'm not really concerned about at this point. Um, again, we're, we're just wondering what the team is going to look like on the field. If the defense with their depth, with their bodies there, uh, actually line up and play a defense that Dan and Tosh Lupoy want, um, which, like Eric said, I thought was the biggest problem last year is they just didn't have the personnel. They just didn't have the speed. They didn't have the strength. They didn't have the coverage abilities. And, you know, we clamored about it towards the middle of the season, probably after that Washington game. And we said, look, uh, Dan's going to have a whole offseason to get it right. So it was Tosh. Um, here's that offseason. The transfer portal window closes today at midnight. Um, that'll be the first part in getting getting uh, Oregon's defense prepared for next season until we head to spring football. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, to, to answer the, the question, or I guess the question was more of a statement about competing for a Pac-12 championship. Like, yeah, that's the goal. That's what it should be every season at this point for Oregon. Um, that's what it was when Mario Cristobal was here. And that's what it was last season, even though there were some uh, not some high expectations for Oregon because you didn't know what you were going to get. Um, the expectations now is always competing for a Pac-12 title and trying to win it every single year. I think that's what the expectation should be for every team in the conference. But clearly that that can't be. The The first conference game of the year for anybody is Stanford at USC week two. They always do that. But mm-hmm. The the first true week of Pac-12 play is September 23rd. And I just wanted to touch on this for a second because there's like some really – there's some – conference did a really good job of coming out with a bang here. Uh, ASU opens at home against USC. Um, we've seen more than a few times a USC team go to the state of Arizona in September and lose. Um, that's happened a couple times. Uh, UCLA at Utah, first week of, of league play. That's a really big game. Um, Oregon State at Washington State will be a sneaky, like, FS1, 7 p.m. kickoff that we're racing to to finish uh, the game, our, our coverage, to get home and catch the final half of football there. Uh, and then there's the Oregon game, prime first Pac-12 game at Oregon. I, I think your three biggest ones, USC at ASU, UCLA, Utah is obviously going to be the biggest one. But then the eyeball one here is Colorado and, and Oregon. Um, and that game, for Oregon's perspective, in my eyes, that, that might be like a a big network or a primetime slot because if, if Colorado can be like two and two, I don't know what their schedule is like. I guess before I could look really quickly. But, you know, just be decent. Look look decent in their games leading up to it. That could have a lot of marquee eyeballs watching that one as well. It'll, it'll, I think, it'll I think they begin the year against TCU. So they have, they have a good they, TCU, Nebraska, and somebody else. So they yeah, have a good non-con. So again, if they put up a fight, if they go one and two and lose to Nebraska and Matt Rule and TCU – and uh, Sonny Dykes, maybe maybe it's still a national game just because they put up a fight. I I wanted to go uh, to this just because it is a it, it's just something I've also kind of felt. And this is from Eric Johnson. Seems weird not to be concerned about at Stanford. Yeah. We haven't even brought that's that game true. up. We haven't brought that game up, and that's been an absolute wow. house of horrors for Oregon. Even over the last couple of times they've gone down there, obviously the most recent trip being one of the most pull your hair out losses an Oregon has had in a while. But it, but it, we haven't mentioned the game because I, I think everybody thinks Stanford's going to be awful this year. Like, I, I don't why, think why, why do we think they're going to even be improved? I don't think we should think they're going to be improved. Coaching yeah. change, they're going to lose. I, I, I actually don't know this for a fact, and I feel silly for not knowing it. Has there been a decision for the NFL? Did a – gosh, I'm blanking on his quarterback. Tanner McKee. Did he enter the draft? I know he was considered a draft prospect. I, don't know I believe so. I'll double check right now. Yeah. I just think Stanford's going to be terrible. Like, I, I think Stanford potentially could be in play for worst team in the conference. So it is so it is weird, though, other Eric, 
Um, because yes. you look at this and go, McKee did enter. McKee is entered, so he's gone. So he's gone. So there goes your most talented player. I mean, I, they're they're going to be really bad. And it's just it's just a weird deal where a Oregon Stanford had this really like a pretty intense rivalry over the course of about a six to eight year run there, where every year, I mean, there was a run there where basically the winner of that game was going to win the conference or was going to be your your Pac twelve North champion. You know that that was going to be your representative of that coming from that game, and to have a situation where Stanford is now. I think potentially like the worst team in this conference is just it's a weird deal. But I think you always have to be at least a little bit worried. There's just the history there makes it weird, even if I think we all think Stanford's gonna be pretty terrible this year. Yeah, I'm not it's it, this Stanford team's gonna be awful. They got a brand new coach. David Shaw's gone. I mean, at, at the end of the day, like David Shaw was a really good coach. He could get his guys up for anything. Um this is Sac State's coach. I don't even know his name off the top of my head. Um, Sac State was really good last season. I want to say his first name was like a Trent. Wasn't his first, isn't, his, isn't he a Trent? Sure, man. He could be a Richard for all I know, but I, <laughs> hell. He's, he's Sacramento State. I don't know anything about the Stanford program. I really don't. All I do know is that uh, a million guys Troy Taylor. transfer portal. There Troy. Not a Troy. Trent. Not a Trent. A T, though. Uh, a million guys hit the transfer portal. Their recruiting class is less than less than less than good, which it always is. They don't. I, I'm not bringing them up because I just don't think that it's going to be competitive. I think Stanford's going to be one of the worst teams in the league, maybe, maybe in the FBS. But uh, I really hope that Stanford one day gets back to where they were. That'd be really nice to add another team in the Pac-12 with some history behind it. But until that point, until I see how they look on the field, I'm just I'm not buying it. Yeah, they uh, they're 53rd in the recruiting rankings. They signed just 14 guys. They have two guys that are committed that haven't signed yet. And I think I remember seeing this earlier. So I apologize if it's not 100% accurate, but I think this is the first year they've also landed a non-graduate transfer. Their their admissions right. are different. They're their emissions are different, so that makes it harder for them. But they're just in today's day and age, it's it's a lot harder for them to go and and recruit. And you know, like they've got one, they have two four stars on this team for this recruiting class. Cool. You know, a bunch of a bunch of three star guys. They have a transfer that's a three star coming out of high school from FIU too. So he's gonna go up a level, um, like Jared. Like it, it's a long storied program. bunch of bunch of good dudes that ran through that program for a while, but it, it's it's a shell of what it, what it was. And to to your point, Eric, it does feel weird to to not think about it. But you know that's a road game that is gonna be early in the season. Um, if even if Oregon's three and one going into that game, um, there's going to be a huge crowd, especially the way Oregon played towards the end of the season to win that bowl game. Um, the way they've recruited this off season, Bo Nix coming back, there's going to be a very huge pro Oregon crowd at that game that it will, be, it will feel like a, a, an Oregon spring football game. Then it will feel like a Stanford road game. Yeah. You guys want an update on my little poll here? Sure. Yes. Washington has now pulled the in front. We've now got about uh, 233 votes in our poll. If you haven't voted and you want to go ahead and jump in there. Uh, somebody said earlier you guys should get me a, a Steve Kornacki board. Uh, to, <laughs> if, if I'm going to be running through these polls. But Washington, Washington on October 14th has 41.6% of the votes. Uh, Utah has about 38%. USC 16. Not, no, very few people seem to be. Uh, pining for for Oregon State to be atop a the atop its game list here, so I, I I tend to agree. I think between those two games, it's it are, are clearly mm -hmm. your, your two toughest, and I would probably in Washington just based upon recent history, but could be convinced one way or the other. I, I again, as, not to recap everything all over again, but I I think the schedule is like favorable, kind of on the back end compared to what it could be. But boy, that middle of the season, guys, that's going to be. 
that's going to be tough. You come off that bye week and then you have to play your toughest stretch. Like that's maybe that's a good thing in terms of you've got a week to prepare for all of that, but that's that's not going to be easy. No, no, it's not. I mean, we mentioned this earlier, but I mean, I, I still have Utah as mine. I just think the bye week is going to be really beneficial. But um, yeah, the, the middle of the season that Washington, Washington State, Utah stretch, that's the hardest three games of the season easily, unless Arizona State, like Eric said earlier, unless they, they decide to be good this year. Uh, yeah, that, that three game stretch is going to be pivotal. I almost swore, which I guess is allowed on this podcast now. But I mean, um, someone else is just throwing out F bombs on this. Throwing podcast. it out there. But. Yeah, the, the, that, that three-game stretch. Excuse <laughs> you. Um, the three-game stretch is going to be huge. Uh, I mean, that's that's the deciding factor in the season there. And then obviously you have USC coming in later in the year. I just really like that that USC game is home. I think that's a really beneficial thing because uh, you know Oregon's defense last year couldn't stop a nosebleed, but neither could USC's, as evidenced against that two-lane collapse. So uh, yeah, like like Matt said earlier, I think that could be like a fifty-five to fifty-two game. It's just going to be an absolute bloodbath. But I'm here for it. I'm, I'm I will be here for it. I think my parting thoughts here, I think we're at that point where we maybe should should wrap up the show. Um, we all can give some a parting thought. Maybe Jared, is that your parting thought? Is that do you want that to be your parting thought? Well, hey Matt, I do we want to touch on the safeties thing? Like they just hired a safeties coach. Have we talked about that on a podcast? Hi. I mean, I was no, just, just I just was looking at the safeties who returned yesterday. Yeah. There's stuff we, we could we, you want to do a little safety on. talk? Or what do you want to do? Yeah, sure. I'm in. Sure. Let's go for it. Let's do Let's it. Do All it. right. Because I because I because I saw uh, this. This is where I th- I thought of it. A, a comment from Jake H. Referring to Chris Hampton, uh, Chris Hampton, New Oregon's new safeties coach. Who, by the way, the school hasn't announced. But as Jared pointed out on social media last night, he's already getting tagged in tw- Twitter uh, recruiting uh, posts of offers and visits and all that stuff. So that's sort of interesting. Uh, indicates that this is this is final. Um, but Jake H. Uh, his comment was about Hampton. He says he was really good at Tulane as their defensive coordinator, top 15 until defense number one in their conference, their down defense. Um, no, I mean, I, I, I think the, the the hire, which, again, I think we were surprised it maybe took as long as it did. Maybe we shouldn't have been because there wasn't necessarily the same kind of inherent rush as you have at other times because I think if we're being honest, Oregon's safety room is kind of settled in, and certainly we'll get to it in a moment even more settled in with a couple of portal uh, decisions in terms of players not entering the portal or, or just deciding to stick with Oregon. But um, this is a guy who, again, you're, you're getting a coach, and I, I think the track record has been pretty good for Oregon when, you, when this happens, of a, a person who's actually taking a positional sort of step down. I know you're taking a step up in terms of this, the caliber of the school, but to get a guy who has defensive coordinator experience to take a, to take a job that's a position coach and I'm sure he's going to have we haven't again we hasn't been officially finalized and uh we don't know all the titles but I think that's a really positive uh kind of dynamic there of if you get a guy who who's been able to run a defense at a high level um who you can then bring in and have leading a position group which frankly needs a lot of work like I, that's that to me still is one of the bigger question marks on this team is what they are on the back end because I thought what they were on the back end last year was pretty mediocre. So um, I like I like that hire from a, a history perspective. I think it's still hard to know exactly what it is from a um, player development perspective and all of that just because I'm not as familiar with what he's done. Like I don't I couldn't run through his two lane defenses or his time at Duke and be like he produced five safeties that did this or that i don't have that information you know i'm not aware of it necessarily but the track record of of, of getting a guy who has formerly been a defensive coordinator to come be a position coach typically plays out pretty darn well i like the move overall i think it's it's solid Uh, just from the very limited research i did following the the women's basketball game on sunday with with eric um hampton i mean yeah, he, he, he's been a Tulane guy for a lot of his career. I think he's been coaching for seven or eight years. I think six or seven of them have been spent at Tulane. He had that one season as Duke's defensive back coach, specifically cornerbacks coach. We're all under the impression that he's coming to Oregon to be that safeties coach. Um, I know that – so he's taken the step down, quote-unquote, from being a defensive coordinator to a safeties coach. But 
Mind you, uh, Matthew Pallage, who's now Baylor's defensive coordinator, was the co-defensive coordinator at Oregon. So I'm sure that Hampton's job title will also feature co-defensive coordinator. Um, I'm sure it'll probably feature a raise as well, which is great for him. But, you know, I, I really like this move for, for Oregon. I think it's important to get somebody who has a fresh set of eyes, who's somebody who um, has had success as a defensive backs coach uh, at Tulane. I don't have the stats up in front of me, but Tulane was one of the better uh, secondary groups in the country this past year. Obviously, they got shredded by Caleb Williams and USC's players. But again, um, I know it's a little apples to oranges in terms of what the caliber of player is at Tulane and what the caliber of player is at USC and Oregon and Washington and Utah. But um, regardless, coaching translates. And with the, the experience and the depth that Oregon's safety room now has, after Jamal Hill and Steve Stevens made their announcement that they're returning to Oregon for this upcoming season. Um, Coach Hampton has a lot of guys to work with, guys who have experience, guys who have depth, guys who have talent around them. Um, I, I think that's really helpful. And this is clearly a position that they needed to address. Uh, like Eric mentioned, safety play was subpar this past year. So is cornerback play. Maybe Hampton has a, has a say in that with Coach Demetrius Martin as well. But uh, I, again, I, I really like the hire. Um, it, I know people will ask if he can recruit. Um, I don't know. Maybe. Yes. And he hasn't had to recruit at Duke. He hasn't had to really recruit at, at Tulane. But like Dan and, and basically every coach on this staff has said, recruiting is about relationships. So if Chris Hampton can develop relationships with kids, uh, which he seems to have already done on the Twitterverse, uh, I think he'll be just fine. They've, the Oregon has all the amenities, all the allotment of money that he needs to go out and get, in, get into recruiting. Um allotment of money, meaning like private jets and getting out there with cars, not NIL deals, to to go out there and, and go say hey to somebody, go recruit really good players. And they also have the brand name of Oregon behind them and not Tulane. So I think recruiting will come, but I, I'm more worried about X's and O's as of right now. I got a lot of heat on Twitter, quote, tweeting someone saying that USC is like shaking in their boots because Oregon hired the Tulane defensive coordinator. Now I'm going to use this opportunity to clear that up. Like, oh, I like the go. hire. I like the hire. I think he's going to work out. He's going to be good. But like, my whole point of that tweet was that the notion that like, because they hired a, the defensive coordinator from a team who beat USC in a big bowl game, like everyone in the conference is going to be scared. Like, no. Like, and I understand Tulane does not have the athletes down the line of depth chart that Oregon does, and that will help. But like USC had like 600 yards of offense in that football game. Like they're mm-hmm. not they're not shaking. Now, if you said that about Tulane's offense, then yeah, maybe like you could jokingly say that. But nonetheless, I wanted to wanted to say that. I think this is a good hire. Um, I, I think he does more with less. His defense was put up pretty good numbers at Tulane. In a couple key areas, he's coached multiple NFL players at the safety positions and cornerback positions. Um, so he's finding talent. He's getting guys and developing them into players that make it at the highest level. Maybe not necessarily every one of those guys have been drafted, but they've found their way onto an NFL roster. And when you can say that, and you can say it at a group of five school, you know how to recruit. You know how to develop said player, and you know how to find players um, and get them into your system. I I think just like, like Jared said, re- recruiting is all about relationships and it's all just about effort. And you put forth the effort to make the relationships. You're going to be a damn good recruiter. No one knew who Ken Wilson was really when he showed up under Mario Cristobal and he turned into one of the nation's best recruiters because he was at a school like Oregon and he had the effort and he had the relationships. And if, if Chris Hampton uh, as a safeties coach, and I would agree with Eric, probably going to be co-DC, shows the effort to recruit. He will He will have – I'm very confident at some point Eric will be writing a story that Chris Hampton is included in the long list of Oregon coaches in the top 10 in the Pac-12 from a recruiting perspective. Um, that will happen. Uh, he hasn't landed one guy yet, but that will happen. Um, so I, I think this is a good hire. And I think just like Dan Lanning's selection from a transfer portal perspective, his his coaching selections have all been hits. I mean, every guy that's left has landed a job promotion, whether that's um, 
an analyst getting an on-field role or whether that's an assistant coach becoming a coordinator, a full-time coordinator, or it's a, it's a coordinator becoming a head coach. And he's only been here one year. And we've already seen a couple coaches leave to, to get better jobs. So his eye for talent is pretty good. I have no reason to think Chris Hampton will not be a good coach at Oregon. I, I've got one question. I think we can wrap it after this uh, from Fish Bio. Who starts at safety? I just think we've we've had a hard time being able to answer this question in the past because we didn't know what the personnel would look like necessarily. There were some decisions that needed to be made. We don't have clarity on Brian Addison yet um, and what he wants to do, but I think we can. We'll have it by today. Yeah, we'll have it really soon because uh, today is the close of the portal. So if he's looking at transferring, he has to do so today. Um, or else he's back with the team, or he's pursuing professional options, but doing so in a way that I think we can assume Brian's back. Actually, just just me talking through this, unless he gets support. I would. Yeah. Um, so okay, so how do we how do we want to stack this up? What do we think here, Jared? Let's talk this through. Uh, do you, do we do we Let's. feel? Uh, it's interesting because nobody who was really playing nickel last year, because Bennett played nickel all of last year, is really. Mm -hmm back besides J.J. Greenfield. I don't think anyone's going to pick him to be a starting nickel. Do you I, – I, I kind of think it's – you're going to move a guy kind of move a position, and to me the most logical one would be moving Jamal Hill, who was playing, I think, field safety most of last year, and you would move him back to nickel where he played in, in 20 and 21. Like, does that, does that satisfy your kind of expectations at nickel, or are you looking at anyone else? No, I, I think that's the only option you have, really, I, just on the depth chart of right now. Um, Evan Williams, Bennett Williams' brother was predominantly a, a free safety at, at Fresno yeah. State. So was Steve Stevens. So was Jamal Hill last year because, like Eric mentioned, Bennett was playing nickel all the time. So was Brian Addison. Um, <laughs> the, these these are all free safeties with, and the only one with actual in-game nickel experience is Jamal Hill. So I think that's clearly your best option here. And then who do you start at the other two free safety positions? I don't know. I mean, I guess probably, I mean, if we're up to me, again, if we're up to me, I'd have TriQuest Bridges at safety, but it's not. So I'd probably go Evan Williams and Brian Addison. I just like what Brian Addison brings to the field, especially in that center field role. I've talked about this. I could talk about this for a long time. I have talked about it for a long time. Um, Brian Addison is the best deep free safety on this roster, 100%. Yeah, I, that would be my, that's exactly where I would land. I would have Jamal as the, as the nickel and I'd have, uh, Addison and Evan Williams on the back end. That means Steve Stevens isn't starting. I will also say Brian Addison didn't start last year and still played like 380 snaps or something. Yeah. Like he played a ton. So there are going to be reps available to to Steve Stevens if he doesn't start, or to Brian Addison or Evan Williams if they don't start. But that would be right. what makes sense. And the only wild cards you kind of have in theory are like, could Triquez move from corner to safety? I think that move becomes less likely now that all these guys are coming back. It seems. Um, and then the other one would be. What do you do with Jeffrey Bassa, who I think maybe externally, yeah, everyone, maybe, everyone yeah. externally is like, move him around, move him around. I don't know if it's internally, if there's any desire to do that, if they're just like, he, he's better than, P P I mean, Dan, we know Dan hates PFF grade. Maybe Dan thinks Jeffrey had a great season and they feel really good about what they've got there. I just know that what I've seen um, from my amateurish perspective and reading PFF, like Jeffrey Bassa was not good at inside linebacker. And I, I wonder if you could find another role for him on the team. Um, but we'll kind of have to see how that plays out. That's the only; those are the other ones that kind of you could, in theory, move around to to either play nickel or safety. In theory, yeah, I'm sure they could they could jumble around a lot of guys. But I, I mean, as as Trello one here in the comments section is pointing out how horrible Jamal Hill and Jeffrey Bossa were. Thank you, Trello, for your uh, coaching experience and and perspective here. Um, I'd still think that that this is your best line of line right now is to still keep Bossa a linebacker and then move Jamal Hill to nickel. I just don't know who who else you're going to roll around unless it's Connor Soul, the transfer from Arizona State, where he's kind of like a medium in between there. But I, I, for linebacker, you have some real good experience with Bossa and Justin Jacobs. But after that, you still have Harrison Taggart, Devin Williams, or Devin Williams, hello, Devin Jackson. And you have uh, Keith Brown. And I know that everybody is clamoring for Keith Brown to be a starting linebacker next season. Um, we've seen him play one game this last year. And then we saw him in the in the, his freshman season against Ohio State and company. And he 
you know, was a true freshman. He just wasn't ready for that stage. And I don't blame him at all for that year. But again, we've watched one game this past season where he looked really good against North Carolina, but I, we can't pencil in any of these guys um, other than, other than honestly, other than Evan Williams, I think is probably your best bet at a free safety right now. All right. Uh, that's going to do it for us on the podcast. I don't think I need to add any more to that. And I wasn't, Involved in the question. Eric didn't Matt, ask me. What, what, what do you think you want to do at safety? <laughs> ditto, 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 Jerry, ditto. <laughs> uh, that's going to do it for us here on the Odds and Audibles podcast. Really appreciate the questions hopping on the live stream. Had over 100 people consistently on the show, which is a very good thing. If you're listening to the podcast, you can go onto uh, YouTube and you can find us there. Oregon Ducks on 24 seven sports and future shows to watch the live stream and make sure to like, and subscribe to both the podcast and the, the YouTube channel. Much appreciated until the next one. You've been listening to the odds and audibles podcast. Talk to you later folks. Peace. Now streaming on Paramount plus. You're ready. Bob. Well, all right. Audiences are raving. Bob Marley is electrifying. It's the feel-good movie of the year. You dig? Bob Marley, One Love. Rated PG-13. Now streaming on Paramount+. Plus.